We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So you may have started noticing that there's some strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not actually beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They'll also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. See, what you may not know is that most plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore, and the plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with our store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday, P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's up, Packers Nation? Welcome back to the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks so much for joining me today, and happy Victory Monday. Although I know many are not exactly excited about celebrating Victory Monday after a performance that I think most would consider a little bit subpar and and certainly not up to expectations. We'll cover all of that today. The Packers ultimately defeat the Patriots in overtime 27 to 24. I think Packers ended somewhere around like a 10 point favorite before going into the game. Uh, In my pregame show and in my predictions, I I said, I think this game is going to be very bowling shoe ugly at times. I think the Packers ultimately come out with the win. I thought 23-13, maybe getting some some last minute points and uh, making it look a little bit better than it seemed. I would have taken that, to be honest, and instead they have to fight tooth and nail and go into overtime against a team led by Bailey Zappi for the majority of the game. So that is exactly how the day went, and I think there was certainly some level of frustration for Packer fans throughout the course of that game as they kind of watched that game go down and, and were losing at times in the second half to a Bailey Zappi-led Patriots team. So we'll get into all of that. We'll get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. As I say all the time, uh, You know, usually after a loss, it's not quite as bad as you think. Usually after a win, it's not quite as good as you think. I think ultimately that's the case here. I had the opportunity to rewatch the game wasn't as upsetting as it was in real time, I'll say that much, but let's kick things off. 
by first of all saying this was not a good performance. All right, let's get that out of the way. I think you know that. I don't think I need to repeat it. But no matter what I say from a, uh, you, you know, some things that went well, some things that went poorly, I think this in some capacity was a disappointing performance for the Packers. I think that is clear. Now, I hate these type of games, right? Because you've got a losing squad with a third string quarterback for the majority of the game, even when it wasn't Bailey Zappi, it was Brian Hoyer, who's basically a third string quarterback himself at this point in his career. And if you win easily, right? Like let's say you win 31 to 13, eh, you beat Bailey Zappi and Brian Hoyer. What do you want, a cookie? Like nobody's going to be throwing you any parades over uh, a nice win over a Hoyer-Zappi-led Patriots team, right? If you win a close game, a tough game, an ugly game, it feels like a loss because you didn't beat them by the, the right amount of points, right? It just feels that way. And if you lose, heaven forbid, it's going to feel catastrophic, right? Because you just lost to a team you had no right losing to. So these sort of inherently are no-win situations. And I do think, you know, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur is right, and I've said it before, sometimes the, the, the best thing you can have is a win where you pick up a, a victory in the win column, but have a ton in the film room to clean up and go over and review and make sure that you get better at moving forward. This is clearly one of those games where, yes, the Packers picked up a win, but man, they did not look convincing doing so, and they have a ton to clean up after this game. Now, I will say that this was an incredibly bizarre game to break down. And this could have gone in a couple different ways, right? So remember I said at the beginning, this is not a good performance. So whatever way we want to try to spin this, this is not a great performance by the Packers in any way. But what if I told you going into this game, before the game started, that the Packers would win the game, that they would allow 17 points on defense. Remember, seven of them was were a pick six. But if I would have just told you they won the game, allowed 17 points on defense, allowed only 104 passing yards, put up 443 yards of total offense, almost 200 yards of rushing, in fact, 199 to be exact, were three of four in the red zone with three touchdowns and no major special teams gaffes. If I would have told you that going into this game, allow 17 points, win the game, 104 passing yards allowed, over 443 yards of offense and almost 200 yards rushing, no special teams gaffes, you'd have been like, okay, like that's a good overall performance. You probably would have taken that and not even thought twice about it and said, I'm sold. Give me that right now. That's exactly the numbers from this game. You look at offensively, was it a good 60 minute or plus, I guess in this case, 70 minute football game? No, there was some really, really bad stretches of offense, some really big mistakes. Clearly the Aaron Rodgers pick six sort of clouds everything when it comes to a statistical standpoint, because uh, that was a huge, huge game changer in this one. The Romeo Dobbs drop touchdown, huge game changer. The Romeo Dobbs fumble, a huge game changer. So there were a lot of things in this game that didn't go the way the offense would have liked. Defensively, you can argue the same thing, right? Really good first half of football. I think a very underrated first half from this defense. Yes, they allowed three points on the first drive, tip your cap to New England, whatever. Uh, and then Green Bay basically shut them down the entire remainder of the first half and then had two inexplicable touchdown drives and then once again shut down the Patriots after that. But you had two stretches in the opening of the second half where they go down and score two touchdowns by just basically just running the ball down your throat. You don't feel great about that either. And so on the flip side of things, right, I told you like, you know, if I told you the good news, right, you would have been like, yeah, I'll take that in a second. 
On the flip side, what if I told you that it took overtime and they almost lost and we're losing in the second half to a Bailey Zappi-led Patriots team that just doesn't have overall that much talent, right? That would have felt the exact opposite. And that's, I think, overall how this game felt. Yeah, there were some good. They, they, they were able to move the football at portions of this game. They were able to come up with stops when they needed to. Uh, you know, they overcame some turnovers. They overcame some adversity. They won when they needed to. There's some things to take away. But overall, you, you certainly didn't come out of this game feeling super confident with the way that this team ultimately won the game. I, I tweeted out, and I love, I love social media always, no matter what. I tweeted out, I th- like, let's think about this from an expectation setting, right? I said going into the game, 23-13 Packers. I saw a lot of like 31-17 to Packers. They were clearly double digit or like 10 point favorites in this game. So, you know, what, what were the sort of the expectations going in? And I think, you know, if you would have said Green Bay scored, you know, 27-ish points against a pretty decent, you know, Patriots defense, you'd have been like, okay, right? And if you would have said, you know, they would have allowed, you know, somewhere between like 13 and 17 points against the Patriots offense. I think that's like still reasonable against a, you know, whether you're up against a second or third string quarterback or not. I think most people would have said, okay. To me, the two plays in this game that changed everything were the the Rodgers pick six and the Dobbs drop touchdown. I think if you don't have the Rodgers pick six and if you don't have the drop on by Dobbs and what should have been a clear touchdown, you should have been able to secure that catch and come down with it. I think Packers win that game 31 to 17. And I think if you look at the entire, you know, box score and how this game went and how Green Bay for the most part outplayed New England in this game, I think that would have been what we sort of would have expected as a score going in. I think that would have been an okay result. And I think that's what would have been indicative of how this game went overall. Now, of course, everyone's like, well, why play the if game? That didn't happen. I get that that didn't happen. And you can always say, if you would, if New England would have made two more plays in this game, they're clearly the winners, undoubtedly. So I'm not saying that, you know, that should have happened or that did happen. It didn't. Green Bay didn't, you know, play their best brand of football. And I said, going into this game, the way that Green Bay loses this game is if they beat themselves and they came darn close. They really tempted that fate by, you know, the the Dobbs fumble, the Rodgers pick six, the Dobbs drop in the end zone, and certainly some other plays as well. Not stopping the run when they needed to. Uh, they, They tested fate. In fact, the Patriots had the ball first and 10 on their own 49 yard line, only needing a field goal in overtime to win the game. You know, they were what, probably, you know, 12, 15 yards away from being in field goal range to win a game in Lambeau with Bailey Zappi at quarterback. So, this did not go according to plan, no matter what way you look at it. But I think if you look at everything holistically from a box score standpoint, how we expected it ahead of time, this was probably two plays away from being exactly the game that we expected. It just wasn't because of those two plays. And again, I think the pick six really shrouds almost everything else in this game and makes it really hard to sort of dissect everything else. And going back to Romeo Dobbs for a second, I would actually say and argue that Romeo Dobbs's game was a complete microcosm of this game as a whole. Romeo Dobbs was a couple plays away from being the absolute hero in this game and having a near flawless game. And if he does, maybe Green Bay blows out the Patriots. Who knows? But the fumble on the opening or on the opening offensive drive uh, was, uh, you know, a, not a killer, but like that kills momentum early in the game for sure. The drop touchdown was huge, and that certainly changed the game as well. So you've got a turnover and a drop touchdown. On the flip side, 
Like he makes the amazing touchdown grab that ties the game and should have probably had the game winning touchdown right in his grasp, right? If everything goes like according to plan, you know, Romeo Dobbs ends up being the hero in this game probably looks fantastic from Green Bay's end. If Romeo Dobbs has, you know, drops the other touchdown or goes, you know, doesn't come up with the, the you know, the big touchdown or doesn't get opened on the end, like you've got, uh, you know, you've got a completely worse game and you probably lose the game. And ultimately you make a couple plays at the end, which Romeo Dobbs did on a couple of those quick smoke screens to the outside and you pick up a win and you're thankful that your mistakes didn't cost you and that you came up with enough plays to win the game. Like Romeo Dobbs's game in this game is a complete microcosm of the Packers game as a whole. Now, just going over my, or uh, going over Romeo Dobbs for just a quick second here. I think it is clear to anyone that is watching, you know, Romeo Dobbs so far that knows anything about football, that this kid is going to be extremely good. It's going to take a little bit of patience. And I think we've seen that so far. And we certainly saw that in this game with the fumble, with the drop touchdown, there's going to be plays where he still needs to put everything together. But he's also coming up with big plays almost every game. And there are things that he is doing as a receiver on the football field that are so far advanced for a rookie wide receiver. I mean, that back shoulder touchdown, I mean, looked literally you know, Jordy-esque, Devontae-esque, put whatever wide receiver you want to put in there. Like there, there's only so many players that can kind of put together the type of plays that he's putting together in his first four games as a rookie. Is it a complete you know, portfolio yet of what he's going to be able to do down the road? No. Is it going to take some patience and is there going to be a little bit of a learning curve? Yes. Are there going to be some frustrating plays along the way? Yeah, we've seen that. But man, the guy can absolutely play football. He is going to be ridiculously good as a wide receiver. His releases are already getting better. His routes are getting better. Like it is going to be very, very exciting watching him continue to learn, uh, you know, how to put everything together. And when he does, man, look the heck out. I, I tweeted out as well. I think 2024 Romeo Dobbs is going to be beyond disgusting. And in the meantime, 2022 Romeo Dobbs, not too bad uh, for the time being either. Overall, I thought this was a really interesting tale of two halves as well, right? Like in the first half, defense was really, really good. In the second half, defense really, really struggled, specifically with those two touchdown drives. In the first half, the offense was beyond brutal. In the second half, the offense actually looked pretty darn good. And that makes these things really difficult to judge, right? Because you've got stretches of the game where you look at the offense and you're like, man, like this Patriots defense is is pretty darn good. Like I think they're gonna be a decent defense as this season goes along. And there were times where Green Bay just picked it apart and was able to move the ball right down the field, especially when it mattered towards the end of the game. And on you know defense, you know clearly this is a a bad New England offense, especially with Bailey Zappi. But they got some key stops when they needed to. They overcame adversity. Rashawn Gary looked like a freak. There's times where you're like, man, this defense is so good. And there's other times the two touchdown drives back to back that it's just like, dude, all you have to do is stop the run. Like just stop the run and you're going to be fine. So. Like I said, overall, this is a very bizarre game. I'm really excited to watch the L22 on this one because I think it's going to tell a much better story. And I think it's really difficult to glean exactly what we learned from this game just off of first watch because it was it was all over the place. And it certainly did not live up to expectations in any capacity. All right, so let's go over the defensive performance in a bit more detail. Let's start with Rashawn Gary because there were three players in this game to me you know, at least on first watch and re, you know, rewatch that clearly stood out. Rashawn Gary on defense, and then on offense, Aaron Jones and Alan Lazard. But I think Rashawn Gary was the freak here, right? 
seven tackles, two sacks, tackle for loss, two hits, forced fumble, fumble recovery, multiple other pressures. He was a menace all day long. This was I, this was clearly Rashawn Gary's best game of the season so far. And I, I try not to make those declarations until, again, I get to see the All-22, but I mean, I don't know how it couldn't be. Like the guy was an absolute freak all game long, came up with some absolutely huge plays. You know, this is a good offensive, you know, offensive line that he was going against. And we saw that offensive line play very well at times. In fact, they played six offensive linemen throughout the course of the game. More on that in a moment. But Rashawn Gary for a uh, head coach and Bill Belichick who will do everything in his power to make sure the opposing team's best player doesn't beat him. Rashawn Gary beat the Patriots. If it weren't for Gary, the Packers are not winning this game. You know, I know Bill Belichick after the game said at the end, you know, Aaron Rodgers was just too much. Man, Rashawn Gary was just too much. I, I legitimately, like if Gary doesn't have anything like that game, if like nothing close to it, I don't think the Packers win this game. That was a you know, I, I don't know what hyperbole we want to put on that game for, for Rashawn Gary. Like, you know, a, 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 certainly an all pro caliber performance from Rashawn Gary in that game. Uh, he just coming up with big plays, consistently setting the tone for a, a game where it seemed like the Packers played down to their opponent's level. Rashawn Gary did not. He set the tone. He kept making plays. I thought he was all over the place and just had a fantastic, phenomenal performance. Green Bay clearly has to get better. Uh, on opening drives uh, defensively. I don't know about everyone listening, but after a long day of work, I just need to come home to a nice, refreshing tall boy to ease my stress. I actually just had three or four last night, if I'm being honest. No, not those tall boys. A refreshing tall can of liquid death was exactly what I needed. If you've noticed a new tall boy can in the water section that looks like a beer or an energy drink, it's actually liquid death, a mountain spring water from the Alps that comes in still, sparkling, or in three different flavors. Try the lime, trust me. Why is the water called liquid death, you ask? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. There's just something special about grabbing an ice cold can of liquid death, hearing the pop when you open it, and quenching your thirst with the best tasting still or sparkling water on the market. I honestly could not go back to bottles even if I wanted to. As I mentioned, I can't recommend the sparkling lime liquid death enough. It has the perfect lime flavor to go with a crisp, refreshing finish. It's also the best water to mess with just about everyone you know, as they probably think you're chugging a beer in your car or a work meeting at about 9am. Seriously guys, check this product out. I've been absolutely loving it and I know you will too. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Four opening drives so far this season, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal. I guess it's improving. They've, you know, after the first two, it was touchdown, touchdown. The last two have just been field goal, field goal. So that's, a, I guess, a step in the right direction, but you, you can't allow points every opening drive. That's going to be something that has to improve for Joe Barry in this defense. And then you look at this, and I, I kind of made mention of this earlier, but th- this was the, the the game for the defense. Like this, this was the overall drive performance. They allowed the first drive, 10 yards, 50 or 10 plays, 56 yards in a field goal. So 10 plays, 56 yards field goal to Brian Hoyer. They scheme up their first 10 plays, probably. They get a good drive going. They get a field goal. Okay, bummer, but no harm, no foul. Then the, the, the rest of the first half was punt, 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 fumble. Like that is a fantastic performance by the defense. Like if, if you allow one drive in the entire first half, 
for one field goal and get a turnover and all punts on the other one, like that is a really great first half. Then inexplicably, you allow two straight touchdown drives in the second half, seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown, seven plays, 66 yard touchdown, where it's Bailey Zappi, a quarterback, you're going six offensive linemen and they're just running the football and Green Bay couldn't stop it on two consecutive drives when like sort of it it felt like at that moment, the game was kind of in the balance and Green Bay's defense didn't rise to that challenge. That was probably probably the most frustrating aspect of the game. I think that's fair to say. But then you go the three final drives, punt, punt, punt. When the game is on the line, three plays, one yard punt, three plays, nine yard punt, three plays, five yards punt. And that last one, three plays, five yards punt, was when the Patriots took over with the ball on their own 49-yard line, first and 10, with again, about 12 to 15 yards to go before the Patriots were in field goal range. They stepped up huge at the end of that game to give the Packers every opportunity to win the game. They also held their team in it when the Packers offense couldn't do anything in the first half and in fact gave them seven points in the first half as well. That Packers defense kept them alive and kept them in it until the Packers offense got going. So it was just a weird game because again, you go one drive for a field goal, punt, 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 fumble, and then you've got two straight touchdown drives and then punt, punt, punt for 15 yards total on three drives. So the entire game, except for three drives, this defense was incredible. And I mean incredible. And then three drives inexplicably, 17 points, and like couldn't stop the, the Patriots at all on those drives. So I think it's the inconsistency that's frustrating. It's it's really tough. And I'll be transparent here. Like I don't care if it's Bailey Zappi. I don't care if it's Brian Hoyer. I don't care if it's Mac Jones. I don't care who it is. If If you can sign me up right now, for a 17 point defensive performance, I will take that. I will sign on the dotted line every single time, plus a, a key turnover. Like that's that's winning performance for the defense. Is it was it a um, was it a satisfying performance? No. Was it even like a like up to their standard performance? No, it wasn't. Like I think they had a really good opportunity to be much better than that but I have a hard time putting much on the defense in this game because again, you allow 17 points. It was frustrating. There's no two ways about it that they didn't have a better plan against this Patriots running game because you knew going in that with Brian Hoyer at quarterback that this was going to be a ton of running for the Patriots. And then when Zappi came in, you knew it even more, right? So the fact that they could put up two, you know, basically three drives where it's almost all running the football and 17 points on those drives. The fact that their running game had 33 carries for 167 yards and a 5.1 yard average and a touchdown on the ground is extremely frustrating. They have to be better. And they got outnumbered at times. You know, the, the Patriots went with six offensive linemen and just kind of outnumbered them and bullied them around. And Green Bay didn't have a good enough response to that. They got to get better at making those adjustments and just having baked in plans to like, okay, like, you know, Belichick's going to have something up his sleeve. What if he goes six offensive linemen? You better have an answer for that. It didn't feel like Green Bay did, at least not a satisfactory one. And that's disappointing in this game. And listen, like, uh, I get like, okay, so they brought in, they brought in a sixth offensive lineman who, right? If I told any defensive coordinator, I don't care who it is. If I told some high school defensive coordinator that the opposing team was going with their third string quarterback and sixth offensive lineman as their offense, 
every defensive coordinator in the world would be doing backflips. Like you'd be like, okay, this is great. Third string quarterback and they're going to play six offensive linemen. We're good. We got this covered. And instead it was like, I, they, like we can't stop the run. Like what, what, are, what are you doing? That that's, that's sort of your one job. And I, listen, I get, I, and I've explained it before and I'll, I'll explain it again. Now I get the philosophy you don't think that Bailey Zappi and the Patriots or the, like the opposing team can go 80 yards over and over and over through the course of the game. And maybe you allow three drives, which is what they did. And your hope is that when those drives end, you hold them to field goals instead of touchdowns. I get it. I understand it. And if they, you know, even in this game where you, you allow three drives the entirety of the game, you allow two of them to end in touchdowns, which I think is probably the real disappointing aspect. Instead of maybe holding them to you know thirteen or nine points, you know you allow seventeen. At least it wasn't twenty-one, I guess. But you allow three big drives. You allow seventeen points on that drive, and you shut them down the rest of the game. Um, I understand that, and, and sort of, and to some extent, your your plan was successful, right? But you also have to know, like, take away what the, the one thing that they can do. Trust your corners, like your these wide receivers, and like. It, if, if Bailey Zappi all of a sudden gets hot and starts ripping the ball down the field and starts completing a bunch of 20-yard passes, like, tip your cap. You know, what are you going to do, right? But like bring an extra guy up, put some, you know, beef up front, stop the run, make sure the run doesn't beat you. And, you know, I'll trust Eric Stokes and Razul Douglas against their wide receivers on the outside. And if he shows you he can complete a couple balls down the field with your corners playing a little bit more aggressive, so be it. Change philosophy after that. But take away their strength first and then react if they have a counter to it. So I have, a, like I said, I have a tough time really blaming this on the defense, but they certainly could have been better. And I, it should be noted as well, we talk about you know the, the Patriots missing Mac Jones and having Bailey Zappi at quarterback. Well, guess what? No Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos for this game. Amos for like 98% of it. Like that hurts the Packers too. And and I know they ran the ball and not like Jair was going to be a huge factor in that regards, but it could play a factor in Barry maybe not, you know, putting extra guys up towards the line of scrimmage and letting his corners play on an island a little bit more. If you have Jair, you might feel more comfortable doing that. And Amos certainly uh will, you know, affected the game plan and how they played. So Green Bay was without some of their best players defensively in this game as well, and Amos and Alexander. And the the last thing I'll say, a couple last things on the defense. While we're talking about the defense, blame the offense here too, because the offense, you know, only puts up seven points in the first half and allows seven points of their own. The offense was a net zero in the first half. The defense was a net negative three. That's not on the defense. Like that to start is not on the defense. That's on the offense. And then yes. You know, Green Bay's offense got going in the second half and, and Green Bay's defense immediately allowed two touchdown drives, which is far less than ideal. And again, needs to get cleaned up. I'm not defending the defense here and saying they did a perfect job, but if at any point, and Rodgers made mention of this kind of in his post-game presser as well, if at any point Green Bay goes up and, and actually puts points up on the board and gets up where the to the point where the Patriots have to throw the ball, this game is over, over, over. And the in the Packers defense, we're not talking about two touchdown drives for Bailey Zappi. We're just not because if they were able to get them, you know, one dimensional and predictable on offense, throwing the ball over and over, just it's it's game over. Like they're not allowing points because you can't 
you're, they wouldn't have been able to throw on this Packers defense once they became predictable. So the fact that Green Bay's offense kept the Patriots in this game really made things a lot more difficult on the defense. And again, overall, I have a lot more accident forgiveness for the defense in this game than I probably do on the offense. And we can talk about, last thing on the defense here, we can talk about you know who they played, right? They played the Vikings in week one, who's you know, okay offensively. They play in week two, Justin Fields in an awful Bears offense. In week three, they play Tampa with no wide receivers. And in week four, they play a third string quarterback with a mostly bad offense, right? They, they, they haven't played much so far. But once again, I'll say this. You take away the three points that the Packers offense allowed to the Vikings off of a turnover where the Packers defense actually pushed them backwards on the drive. And you take away the pick six in this game. The Packers defense through four games, 20 points allowed, 10 points allowed, 12 points allowed, 17 points allowed. That's that's a 4-0 performance for the defense, in my opinion. 20, you know, you know, like if you allow 20 to the Vikings on the road, like, I don't know, I, I can't blame the defense for that. Like that's, those are more on the offense. So this game's got up, this team's got to play a lot more complimentary football. It's very, very clear. And I think had the offense played even remotely better and put more pressure on the Patriots offense, this defense would have had a massively better game because the Patriots would have had to be much more predictable on offense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, let's talk about the Packers offense. A brutal start for Aaron Rodgers. And he's had, I think, a, a rough start to the season overall. I have a negative grade on him through the first three games. In the fourth game, in, in this one against the Patriots, in the first half, he starts four of 11 for 44 yards and a pick six. His worst QB rating in a half in his career. Four for 11, 44 yards and a pick six. That's as bad as it gets. And missed some shots down the field as well. And there was a stretch. If, actually, if you go from the, the drive where Aaron Jones fumbled against Tampa through the end of the first half in this game, the Packers had 15 offensive drives, not uh, not including the kneel down in the Tampa game or the one play before half in this game. 15 offensive drives that resulted in 10 punts, two lost fumbles, an interception, 
another interception that resulted in a pick six and one scoring drive, which was a touchdown. In those 15, excuse me, in those 15 drives, they netted zero points offensively. 15 drives for an Aaron Rodgers-led offense going back to the, the Aaron Jones fumble drive against Tampa through the end of the first half in this game that netted zero points. And even they, they scored seven, they allowed a pick six. That's brutal. That is beyond brutal offense. So to have any stretch like that for a Packers offense led by Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones, and, and like you, it just cannot happen. And that is as bad of an offensive stretch as you will ever see with Aaron Rodgers at, at quarterback. And listen, like they've had Bakhtiari and Jenkins back during that time frame. And, you know, it, it I think we thought it was just going to be sort of like this set it and forget it sort of thing with those two. And it just hasn't been. You know, Jenkins hasn't been what I think we thought he would be at right tackle. Could it could he still be? Sure. But through three games, hasn't looked great. And Green Bay's going to have to look at potentially making an adjustment there or hoping like heck he settles down a little bit from what he's played like in these first three games. So brutal start for the offense. Give Rodgers and the offense credit for bouncing back. In the second half, they played much, much better football. In the end, Rodgers was 21 of 35 for 251 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Would have been even better had Dobbs not dropped the pass in the end zone as well. So it was a major bounce back from the first half to the second half for Rodgers. And as he mentioned, he rarely plays two bad halves of football and he was right. He had a really nice second half. Just wish it would have you know, manifested itself a little bit sooner. I thought the running backs were really good. Aaron Jones, 16 carries, 110 yards. Dylan, 17 for 73. Even Watson had the one carry for 15 yards and a touchdown. It just felt like Green Bay's offense made this a little bit more complicated than it needed to be. They were doing a great job of running the football. And I get that there comes some, you know, running math at times. What I mean by that is, you you know, you get too many guys up in the box and you want to throw the ball and you get a lighter box and you want to run the ball, it just felt like they made things a bit too complicated and they should have really kept running the football because it felt like they had the opportunity to do so and just kind of got away from it. And when they did that, the offense really, really struggled specifically in the first half. And when they became more dedicated to it in the second half, it opened up things a whole heck of a lot more. So really nice game from the running backs, nice bounce back from Rodgers. Alan Lazard, I mentioned earlier, I thought he had a, a key game in this one six catches, 116 yards. That third down catch on the opening drive of the second half was a game-changing play because they were about to go three and out, down 10 to seven, punting the ball away and having no rhythm on offense. And instead, Lazard comes up with that catch, completely changes the drive. They end up getting a touchdown on that drive and it changed everything for the offense. They got a little bit of confidence after that and were able to kind of get going and that was, there's no two ways about it. That was beyond huge for the offense. Lazard, really, really nice day. Meanwhile, Randall Cobb, really nice you know, job converting on third down. He had three catches. I think all three were on third down. Um, and then he also had a holding penalty that converted on third down as well. So you know, his ability to convert on third down and come up with big receptions was a huge part of this game as well. And it was just really great to see Bobby touchdowns back in the end zone. I think Tunyon is, is struggling a little bit right now. You can see his run after the catch just isn't there. He's not a great blocker. 
they're going to have to figure out something with that, but love seeing him get back in the end zone and that seam play up the middle using his size is a great way to use him. Um, and that was a great job by Rodgers as well, looking off the safety, coming back to Tunyon over the middle, hitting an absolute seed down the middle of the field and Tunyon coming up with a big catch. So love seeing that as well. All right, some quick hitters before we get out of here. The play, you know, play clock penalty, the, the one against Tampa, I was much more willing to give a level of accident forgiveness to the referees. Like that, I it, that one seemed like play clock went zero, ref looked up, ref looked back down, and right as it was back down, you know, kind of the, the ball had just been snapped to the point where you don't blow the, the play dead. I could have lived with that one. And I did live with that one. This one this week seemed a bit more egregious where there was a good, you know, tick, tick, you know, more than a tick, like a tick and a half past that and should have been called dead and was a big play in this game. That being said, in either of these games against Tampa or against New England, I didn't feel at any given time that the, the referees were the reason that Green Bay was playing poorly or that the Patriots were keeping it close. That was because of the Packers. So those are things where like in a playoff game, things go against you in, in that situation and scenario, then it's time to be you know pissed off. And, you know, because sometimes there's no coming back from that. In a regular season game, I, I don't know. It, it it didn't feel to me like these two games, you know, th- th- like the referees screwed over the game. Like it felt like both of those games ended up basically the way that they should have through the course of the game. Packers winning kind of close, ugly games. And the reason that the Packers were struggling and won ugly was not due to the referees. Could it have changed things a little bit? Yes, but it didn't feel like it overall changed the overall pace or result of the game in any capacity. So a bummer. It should have been called, but like I said, who knows? Maybe they get a, a false start or a delay game there and the Patriots score a touchdown anyway. We don't know, but I, I I don't know. This one was much more egregious than the one against Tampa Bay. The Matt LaFleur challenge, he owned up to that post game. said it was an emotional decision, which yeah, it definitely was an emotional decision and he's got to avoid those. He said that the guys upstairs were telling him not to challenge it. Certainly should not have. Green Bay could have won that game in regulation had it, uh, you know, had he not challenged that because he would have had the extra timeout, would have given Green Bay about 40 more seconds on the clock. So uh, a big miss there by Matt LaFleur. His team kind of bailed him out after that. Interesting that they went no Hail Mary. I uh, I asked him about that as well. He said it was based on a uh, on the look, like pre-snap, but like, I'm sorry, what pre-snap look were you expecting? Of course, they're going to play a prevent defense with a bunch of guys covering a Hail Mary because everyone in that stadium expected an Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary. Like you're not going to get, you're not going to get great numbers on a Hail Mary. Yeah, you can throw a screen pass where the numbers are much better, but you're not going to, you know, score from 55 yards out with a screen pass. So very weird that they didn't let Rodgers chuck one down the field in that situation. And then clearly a awful decision by Randall Cobb to lateral. It was not a point where they're losing and you just have to lateral no matter what. Just a really odd decision there from from Randall Cobb. Um, The other thing that I'll mention really quick from a strategy standpoint, and this is nitpicky, this is just me nerding out, but I thought one of the mistakes that they really made at the end of this game as well, remember they called the final timeout in overtime with four seconds left in overtime, meaning it was going to be either Crosby making it or it was going to end in a tie, barring a blocked field goal return for a touchdown sort of thing. But you're you're basically saying we think Crosby's going to make it, and if he doesn't, game over, tie game. I understand the thinking of it, but it was the wrong it's the wrong philosophy in that situation. The reason I say that is you got to leave you got a timeout left. 
and you know, and you've got to leave 10 seconds on the clock, or even if you don't, because the, the, the punter could still spike it or throw it away if he needs to, um, you've got to allow for a, a bad snap. And, and what I mean by that is like, if you put 10 seconds still on the clock and there's a bad snap, you know, the quarterback can go down and, you know, you know, call a timeout or, you know, spike the ball, whatever you need to do. If, if he, I think they had a timeout left on that play. Um, but, uh, in that situation, if you have the timeout, then you can still basically, uh, you know, if there's a bad snap or if he doesn't feel like the holder doesn't feel confident about it at all, abort the play, call the timeout and live to see another down. If there had been a bad snap with only four seconds left, it's over. Like you're tied. So I think, you know, and again, even if you miss it, like all of a sudden, let's say you get the snap off, everything's clean and Crosby misses, the Patriots are still back on their own own end with like five seconds left. They're not going to do anything in that situation. So I would have liked to see them, this again, super nerdy nitpicky, but I would have liked to see them leave about 10 to 12 seconds on the clock just to have an abort play if the, the snap is poor and then you can figure out what you need to do from there. So um, and if they didn't have a timeout, then you do it with like 25 seconds left or 20 seconds left. So if something happens, you can still spike the ball and kick a field goal. Like you just, you always leave yourself out in those situations when you are the one that's dictating everything. And I think if they, you know, again, it just allows you to make a mistake and still have an out there. Neither here nor there, but just me being on a weird pedestal for no reason. Um, Amari Rogers, I, I think they just, they got to make a change at returner. He's, he just doesn't have, there's no burst. There's no... There's no nothing. You got to make a change. He had punt returns where he had the opportunity to do something, couldn't do anything. There's no burst as a kick returner. It's just, he doesn't got it. You got to go in a different direction. Great to see David Bakhtiari play the vast majority of the game. Uh, Yash, I think, got in on one series. It may have been two, but either one or two series. Um, Bakhtiari, you know, I'll see how he grades out this week, but um, just great to see that he was able to get through another game back to back and uh, played the vast majority of this game. As far as injuries, Adrian Amos, the only uh, known injury, concussion, and he tweeted out after to Leroy Butler that he was all good. Um, So we'll see if he travels to London uh, this week. That will be something interesting, Uh, but good news that he at least said he's all good. Obviously never great news when there's a concussion involved though, but I think as far as we know, that's the only injury that we know of at this point. And then last but not least, Packers-Giants in London coming up. Interesting schedule coming up. Giants, Jets, Commanders, Bills, Lions, next five. The Optimist says Giants, Jets, Commanders, Lions, four to the five are pretty easy opponents with a really tough game against Buffalo on the road. Um, but the scheduler, the schedule makers did Green Bay no favors. You've got the Giants as a home game in London, and then you come back after London and play a noon game on Sunday against a team that is like an unscouted opponent, right? AFC East opponent that you don't see regularly. So now you're coming off a you know, what I consider sort of short rest coming back from London. Uh, I know it's just the Jets, but that you know poses some challenges in noon Sunday game right after unscouted opponent. Then you go on the road Commanders, on the road Bills, on the road Lions. So five stadiums. In five weeks, only one true home game, and it's again against an unscouted low coming off of a what I again consider a short week after London, and then three game road trip right after that. So this is going to be an interesting stretch of five games. The good news: four out of five poor opponents. The bad news: you know Green Bay should be pretty freaking tired when they get back from that three game road trip after four you know flights in five weeks, five stadiums in five weeks. That's a, that's a difficult stretch and we'll, we're going to have to wait and see to see how Green Bay responds to it. 
That is going to do it for me today. Disappointing performance by Green Bay. Not as brutal as it first looked. The the, the second watch through looked better, uh, more tolerable, but certainly not what I think we were all expecting and, and hoping for. Appreciate you all joining me and listening. Uh, I will be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode, breaking down the all 22 tape. Make sure to check it out on YouTube, but until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.